That is awesome. I, I loved, John did that video. That, that was just a quick promo video that we're going to use for next year. Um, but we are going to be doing a longer video because uh, I know not everybody was in that one. And, uh, but we're going to do a much longer video that shows the true heart of what we experienced last week. And uh, don't hold me to the timing on that, <laughs> but we will get it done. But what an amazing time at creation. And uh, I know that there's a lot of build-up for it. I know that there's a lot that goes into it. So many people sacrifice to, to make it happen. And, and I'm just so thankful for the team that we had, for Peter and for Doug and for Matt Morrison, who's not here, and, and so many people that just put so much into it. And, and what an incredible time it was. But you have to understand, this year was a little different, and I knew it would be. I knew what the Lord was showing me would happen this year. and Because uh, in, in previous years, it was about our camp. It was about, you know, um, people, reaching people for the Lord within our camp. And, and not that that doesn't happen, because we, we did have, um, we ended up having two, two young people get saved, one in our camp and one in the camp right next to us. But really what this year began was a process of our people reaching out to other camps. And it was really quite, quite extraordinary. And uh, something that we had been praying for, we had known that the Lord had, had given us vision of. And uh, um, what we ended up having was, was all, not, not just us as a camp, but all of our young people really reaching out of the boundaries of our camp, reaching into the neighboring camps, reaching, you, you saw you saw uh, up on the hill, and, and I, I don't know why, we, for the last couple of years, we, we put our tarp where you sit in the big main stage area, we put our tarp up top, and it's, it's away from stage. If you, if you see any pictures of how far away, we're, we're toward the back end of it. You can literally see everything, hear everything great, but the thing we love about it is we're right next to this huge open space. And because for, for fire code, they have to have this, this, I don't know, hallway, I suppose you might call it, but this huge open space of grass. And so that's like our playground, right? And, and so you saw a lot of that going on. Well, the thing that's awesome is it, it really starts to draw other people in. Well, this year we got to meet so many people, um, uh, and and it's, it's a matter, I believe, of obedience when you follow the, the Lord's calling, when you follow what he said. And I'll, I'll just share a quick story with you, um, because I, I believe that this, for me, this was my test. And, and you know, if, if you know us for five years now, we're just these weird people that like to go early, to be first in line, Right. Um, it's, it's worth it to us to sit there for eight hours in the blazing sun, you know, just to be first in line. Okay. For those of you who didn't go early, then you don't understand. We were called by God to be first in line. So anyways, but, but while we're sitting there and, and yes, we were first in line again. Yay. Um, while we were sitting there, um, there, there's, there's this, uh, it's like a little cabin-looking thing, and and that's where all of the gate staff kind of operate out of. And they then they have these these uh, you know shelter tents, whatever you want to call them, for the shade. 
Um, there aren't that many people that go in into this uh, into this cabin, and and I was walking back to my car after talking to some of the young people, and and the Lord told me you need to pray over the the gate staff, and I said you know any anyone who knows me knows that you know I I might seem outgoing, but that's that's way out of my comfort zone <laughs> to go up to somebody. Hey, let me pray for you. You know that's just out of my comfort zone, and and so. As we do as Christians, I started negotiating with the Lord. And, and I, love, I love God. You know, I use Moses as my excuse. You know, he, he was able to negotiate with the Lord. So did Abraham. You know, it, it was like there was a precedent set that I am allowed to negotiate. And so I did. I, I said, okay, Lord. I, I said, I, I hear you clearly. Um, but let's talk about this. <laughs> you know, there's, there's about 20, 25 people there. And, and that's like way out of my comfort zone, Lord. How, how, about if, how about if I do this? How about if I wait until there's only, you know, a couple people in that shack, and I'll go in and I'll pray over them? And the Lord being the gracious God that he is, he, he didn't argue with me. He just immediately said, okay, no problem. I said, oh, that's awesome. I could deal with, you know, one or two people. So I waited. I'm sitting there in my car, and it's maybe... 15 feet from me. And so I waited until there was one person in there. <laughs> and I thought I could deal with that. So sure enough, this, this one young man walks in there, and all the rest of them are out back and kind of milling around because the gates weren't open yet. So, so it wasn't, I mean, they were doing stuff, but they were kind of more hanging around. And so I go in there, and, and I, I said, um, I, now you got to remember, they've, they've seen us now for eight hours. I mean, they... It's like we've seen each other. But uh, I, I go in there and I, say, I said, this is going to sound crazy. I know, I know. But the Holy Spirit told me to pray, pray over you and the staff. And can I just pray for you right here? And he said, oh, yeah, hold on one second. Let me get everybody together. <laughs> and I just started to laugh because I thought, isn't that God? God is going to work his will in a willing heart, no matter if that willing heart puts stipulations on his will. All you have to do is be willing. You have to be willing and say, Lord, whatever you want, I want it. And by the way, here's my negotiation. And then he says, oh, oh, okay, no problem. By the way, I'm bringing you over here anyway. And trust me. And he did. So, so it, was that, it was that moment because before I said yes to the Lord, I knew in my heart that this was about obedience. This was about me saying yes to something that the Holy Spirit was telling me to do that was out of my comfort zone. And, and even in my mind, I thought, you know what, I, I mean, I could pray for them without even telling them. You know, I can accomplish that prayer without even telling them about it. So, so and, and trust me, all this is going on in my mind as I'm negotiating with the Lord. But he made it very clear to me this was about obedience. This was about stepping out of my comfort zone, listening to what he's saying, and being obedient in what he's saying. So, so I did that. They gathered the people, and I was able to pray over them. And, and it, was, it was so awesome. At first, it was, you know, it was everything I was afraid it would be. It was just scary. Standing there as he's gathering people together, I'm thinking in my mind, Oh, okay, now they're going to think this is something huge, and it's just really not. And, and you know, you, your mind starts working with, 
all the reasons you didn't want to do that in the first place. But then he gathered them all together, and I, and I prayed over them. I just prayed, and, and, and the response was such a joy to me. And the, the interesting thing wasn't what happened then. It was what happened throughout the week. Because I've been to creation now six times. And I would dare say, except for our group, I'm sure I had opportunity to pray with people here and there, but it was sparse. Okay, This week, it was like moment after moment after moment after moment. I got to pray with people I didn't know, and I wasn't going up to them. They were coming up to me. And, and I just remember halfway through this thinking, God, this is what obedience does. See, because that's what I wanted. I wanted to step outside of our camp. I wanted to pour into other people because I know what God's given us. I know what he's doing in us. And it was time to take it outside. And it was that sheer, in, in my part, it was that sheer act of obedience that then opened it up. And through some of the weirdest ways. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many of those people I got to pray for because they loved our shirts. They just liked our, oh, where do we get these shirts? And they weren't saying it to me. They'd say it to our young people, and our young people would come up and, hey, do we have another one left? And, you know, we ended up selling all but two, three X's. By the way, if anybody wants a three X, I've got two, three X's. But we, we sold, we got rid of all the rest of them. And, uh, and, and I mean, it was, it was certainly a, a, a joy to be able to get our money back from those. But more than that, it gave opportunity to pray for those people. We ended up meeting a, a family that comes, has come for the last few years. The, the guy is, um, he's a veteran. Um, it's him and his wife and his 15-year-old son that they just come because he's handicapped from, from the military. Uh, uh, they stay in a hotel and then, then they come. We got to meet him and, and we got the opportunity to say, you know, your son's not here with a youth group. Why don't you join us? And he did. The, the, was it the last, the last day, I think, or the second to last day that he, Noah joined us? Noah was down with us during a switch trip, definitely. Okay, so it, so it was, I know he was on the last day, definitely. He might have, we might have seen him the day before, but, but I know on the last day we did this worship time in our camp that we invited just a bunch of camps to. And, and, and a bunch of people came, and they were part of that. They, their family came, and we got to meet Noah, and Noah ended up hanging out with us that last, that last day. Noah's going to be with us next year in our camp. You know, so the, these are things, when you show God's love, when first you're obedient to what he says, and then you show his love, it's amazing what he'll do. It's just amazing what he'll do. So, so we're excited about what he's doing for, through creation. Yeah, just a little bit down because it'll start to ring. Um, it's amazing what he's doing through creation, through missions, through whatever our outreaches are, God wants to use us individually. Okay? You have to believe that. You have to know that. You have to let him work through you in that. And I apologize, that's not even my sermon this morning. <laughs> but he wants to work through us. And, and he certainly did in, in, uh, 
in creation this year. I'm excited for what he's going to do next year, but I'm excited for what he's doing throughout the year. Now today we're going to be talking about success. Okay, Everybody loves success. We are Americans. We love success. We embrace success. We look up to success. You know, we, we, we see success as what we want to attain. What is success? You know, and I, I have to tell you, the Lord laid this on my heart this week as I heard Peter preach. Peter preached at, at uh, creation, and Peter talked about Peter. <laughs> and we're going to talk about Peter today. Not that Peter, but the Peter in the Word of God. And we're going to look at what is our measure of success. When you're sitting there in your own life right now, if you look, whether you're a young person looking forward, whether you're an older person looking back, or if you're somewhere in between, how do you look at your life and measure success? You know, if, if, from the American point of view, we know, well, okay, it's, it's money, it's happiness, it's it's, you know, what you have, it's who you know, and all the connections, all that stuff. We, as Christians, we know that's wrong. Okay, we, we get that. And that's an easy one to overcome, because, you know, more than not, don't have any of that, right? It's easy to overcome that part. But as a Christian, how do you measure success? How do you measure it in your own life? If you look at your life and you see your life for Jesus Christ, how do you place that on a, on a scale of success? Now, I'm not talking about just the ultimate end of it. I'm talking about where would you look at your relationship right now, where would you look at your effectiveness right now, and say, am I at this level of success in Jesus Christ? That's what I want to look at today because I want to tell you that could be deceiving. That could be very deceiving. You can look at people that you think are successful Christians that are not. You can look at people that don't seem like they do much of anything or they don't have this big impact or anything else, but yet are. And they have that success. So success is something that... that is, is really, I think, Satan uses as a barometer to discourage us or to take us off track. So I want to use a particular person's life as an example that God gives us in the Word of God, and that's Peter. I love Peter. Peter's one of my favorite guys in, in the Bible, and, and really for the reason that he is one of the most real. I mean, as we go through some of this, you're going to see your own life in Peter's life. You're going to see some of your strengths, some of your weaknesses in Peter's life. And, and you may not have the same personality. I get that. I mean, you know, we're, we're not all a bunch of Peters, and thank God for that. <laughs> but you're going to see similarities in how he reacts in a relationship to Jesus Christ. Because what I'm going to submit to you is real success is intimacy with Jesus Christ. And that, by the way, is a barometer only you can apply. Nobody can apply that for you. Nobody can look at your life and say that 
Here is the level of success you have with Jesus Christ. All anyone else can do is look at you and see fruit, or a lack thereof. And that is all what that intimacy produces. So I'm, I'm not saying there's not a correlation, but I'm saying it can be deceiving. You can see even pastors that have this incredible success. I grew up with this have this incredible success, and yet in their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they lack. And do you know, Jesus never came to this earth and said, I want you to have an outreach to millions of people. I want you to do this, 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 and this that will reach the world for me. He never said that. He said, I want you to seek me. I want you to be intimate with me. That's what Jesus said. Because then that allows him to do the rest. Right? That's really how it's supposed to be. So when you see these successful Christians, these Christians that, that have this fruit in their lives, just understand that the real success comes with intimacy. So in applying that to your own life, I want to I go through Peter's life here a little bit and see how, how does that intimacy lay on me? How does that success lay on me? Can I only say I'm successful when I am finally at that place with Jesus Christ where I am just one with him, he speaks through me, every word out of my mouth is his, that's when I am successful. I'll tell you what, if that's the case, then we're in trouble. Because that's very rare. That also takes a long time. It takes a lot of investment. It takes a lot of saying yes when you don't want to say yes. It takes a lot of obedience when you don't want to be obedient. It's a process. But I want to submit to you that success is also in the journey. Success is as we step in obedience to Him, no matter what, where it is in our walk with Him. When we take that step of obedience, that's success. And that is portioned toward that ultimate success of intimacy with Him. But let, let's look at Peter. First of all, let's look at his calling. Okay, for, the, for those of you, obviously you know Peter was one of the twelve disciples. Um, Peter was amongst the first four that were called as disciples. But Peter was also became a part of an intimate group that Jesus had. And we don't know why. Jesus never said why. But there was an inner circle, if you want to call it that. An intimate group that Jesus poured into above the others. Peter became a part of that. We don't know why. As a matter of fact, if you look at Peter's life... I think Peter probably gave the Lord the hardest time because he was thick-headed. Not, not because he didn't love the Lord, but because he, he reacted on emotion. You know, he, it, it took him forever to see what the Lord wanted him to see. So let, let's look at this. Let's look at uh, Peter's calling. Turn to Matthew chapter 4.
And we're going to uh, read starting at verse 18. We'll read 18 to 20. Jesus is calling the first of his disciples, and, and Peter was a fisherman, he and his brother, and they were, uh, uh, him and Andrew were fishermen, and they were partnered with John and James, okay? And so this, Jesus is down walking by the water, and this is the calling of Peter, and actually those four, but we're going to focus specifically on Peter. Verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. This is Jesus who saw these two brothers. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. That was their trade. That's what they did for a living. Verse 19, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I love their response. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. See, so Jesus Christ meets Peter and his brother Andrew, and he gives them the greatest offer, the offer of a lifetime. He said, you're fishermen, but follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, I I don't even know what their reaction was, except that they went with him. You know, I don't know if they're thinking, what in the world does that mean? You know, except remember they were followers, and we won't we won't trace this out. But they were followers of John the Baptist, so they knew that the Messiah was coming. They knew that at this point they didn't know it was Jesus Christ, but they knew that the world was about to change. They knew that because they believed John's words. So they were fishers of men, and Jesus offered them this. Or they, they were fishermen, and he offered them this offer of a lifetime. I want you to become fishers of men. Okay, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Because this was a point. Now, and we're going to begin at verse 13. And this is just part of the introduction because. There's a lot that goes on between when he was called and to this point. Okay? There was a lot of following of Jesus Christ that Peter did. A lot of things that that he was learning about Jesus Christ. But there came a point in his following Jesus that there was breakthrough. That this was no longer a prophet or a man that he was following, but that this was the Messiah. Let's read verses 13 to 19. It says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that, I, that the Son of Man is? Verse 14, And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then Jesus said to him, but who do you say that I am? And in typical passion, typical fashion, Peter steps forward offering his opinion. Which as you study the life of Peter, you understand that he never waited for anything. He, as a matter of fact, if, if you were to, to talk about Peter when he was with Christ, it was insert foot into mouth before you take a step. That's what he did. He would leap before he thought. 
every time. And I love that. I, I, I got to say, I, I really understand that because in many ways I'm the same way. And, and now there's some people that are a lot more calculating. My wife is more calculating. She'll, she'll be able to read a situation and she'll, she'll hesitate, read the situation, and then know what to do. I mean, I'm just jumping. That's why we're married, because she puts that lasso on me and holds me back. But see, Peter was that way. Peter was, I'll just jump. And, you know, in those jumping times, some of them were good, some of them were off. This one was a breakthrough moment for him. See, he didn't hesitate to declare who Jesus Christ was to him. Let's read verse 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So this was the first time that Peter heard from the Father, and he didn't even know it. See, Peter is starting to develop this intimacy with his Lord, with Jesus Christ, and it was from that intimacy that the Father began to speak to him. See, he didn't even know it yet. Jesus had to tell him where that came from. He didn't say, well, the Father told me that you're the Christ. No, he just knew in his heart. Why? Because he was seeking Jesus intimately. He was giving him everything that he was. And the Father, through that relationship, doors were opened from the Father to reveal it to Peter. It's no different today. You want to hear from the Lord? Seek Him intimately. Don't expect it otherwise. Because, see, the Father reveals those to the people who love His Son, who draw an intimacy with His Son. See, oftentimes we expect, because we just believe in Jesus Christ and accepted Him into our heart, that we're owed something. That we're owed Him speaking to us. That we're owed Him directing our paths. I challenge you to show me in the Bible where it says that, because it doesn't. See, we were given 100% our salvation, that nothing was owed to us, and yet He gave us His own Son's life. The rest of it, after that acceptance of Jesus Christ, is earned through relationship. And I know Christians don't like that word earned, but I'm sorry, that's exactly what the Bible says. You don't earn your salvation, but you do earn your intimacy. See, Jesus is one half of the relationship with you. You are the other half. He's not, just like He didn't force you to accept Him as, as Savior, He's not going to force you to love Him. He's not going to force you to come to Him in intimacy. He's not going to force you to be on your knees in prayer. He's not going to force you to spend time in His Word. He's not going to force you to worship. He's not going to force you to do any of those things. Why? Because He loves you. And he wants love from you. And love can't be forced. 
So it's this relationship that he began to build in Peter that then Peter had this revelation from the Father that he was the Christ. And I want to I want to read the next couple verses because the next couple verses Jesus gives as an answer of prophecy. He then begins to speak over Peter's life, over what that meant, what he just said. That that was a huge statement. Peter didn't even realize how huge a statement. Do you know when you declare something for the Lord, oftentimes if you're doing it out of obedience, you don't even know how important a statement that is. See, at the time, I didn't even understand at the beginning of creation that my simple act of obedience set the tone for our camp at creation. What if I didn't do that? What if you had choices in your life where the Lord told you to do something, led you to do something, and you just said no? By the way, that happens all the time. I could probably sit here and list thousands of times in my own life when I kind of talked that away. Well, you know, let me, if I talk enough, I'll realize that wasn't really the Lord. How often do we act like Peter in quick obedience? Now you run a risk. Peter runs a risk when he acts quickly like that. And we'll see some of those risks. We'll see some of, the, some of the ways that he reacted impulsively. But I'm going to submit to you that those were not failures. Those were part of his success. They were part of what God did in him to make him what Jesus promises in these next couple verses. And it says this, verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me stop there a second. He's not saying upon Peter he will build his church. He is saying upon this rock, Jesus is the rock. He, it, it says later that he is the cornerstone that built the foundation, that the foundation was built upon. Jesus is the rock that it was built upon, but I love the puns of the Holy Spirit. Because, see, Peter means rock. It's Petra. It means rock in the Greek. And so what he was saying is, I am going to use you, Peter, to build my church. I'm the rock that it's built upon, but I use men. God uses men and women to build what he wants. If you notice throughout the Word of God, and if you notice in your own life and in this day and age, you'll notice that Jesus uses people to do His will. He partners with people. Why? Why doesn't He just come in and do it? It's for the same reason that He doesn't do that in relationship with you. He wants love. He wants people to partner with Him that He can work through that just say yes to Him at anything. Why? Because that's what draws the intimacy closer. So now he's declaring, Peter, 
I will build this church. I'm the rock this church is built upon, but I will use you to build it. And then in verse 19, I I love verse 19 because verse 19 confirms 2 Corinthians 9.8. But my God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. See, that's a promise. And, and this is what he says to him. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Do you understand the amount of power he just declared that he was going to give Peter? And that's, it's outrageous. It's amazing. And then as you read on and go, go all throughout the New Testament and see what Peter did with his life, God working through him, he fulfilled that. But yet right here was a breakthrough moment. See, he's still got a lot of teaching to do. He was with Christ for three years, over three years, and poured into him every day. There was a lot of teaching, but this was a breakthrough moment where he realized who he was and the Father spoke to him and and said, this is the Christ. Have you had that breakthrough moment? See, breakthrough moment isn't necessarily your salvation. It can be. But like me, I I was saved for years and years. I, I, I got saved when I was nine years old. My breakthrough moment didn't come until probably, I want to say, eight years ago when I, I learned how you need to love people. So I, I grew up, I tolerated them. I loved the ones I loved. It wasn't that I didn't love people. I just wanted to love the ones I wanted to love. <laughs> the rest of them, somebody else can love. And, it, and my breakthrough moment came when I understood how Jesus loved them. See, if you start asking God to show you how he sees somebody, I promise you one thing, you'll fall in love with him. Why? Because Jesus' eyes on us is pure love. See, that was my breakthrough moment. What, what, what's your breakthrough moment? Or have you had your breakthrough moment yet? See, that breakthrough moment is when you realize who this relationship is with. When you realize the precious value of that relationship. That breakthrough moment takes you to a place where nothing else is more important. Notice I didn't say nothing is important. I said nothing is more important. That's the breakthrough moment that Peter had. That's the breakthrough moment that he wants us to have. But then we, we begin to go through Peter's training, right? And I want to look at some times in Peter's training where we would see these as great failures. It's like, Peter, seriously? Dude, turn to Matthew 16, uh, verse 21. So just a little bit further here. Now, This is right off the heels of Jesus saying, 
Well done, Peter. You're awesome. You are the rock. I'm, I'm going to build my church upon you here on earth. And, and, and you're going to be used greatly. And he's just, just pouring this adoration on him. Now, you can, you can imagine the other disciples sitting around thinking, wow, you know, I, I thought he was the Christ too. And you know, I'm not getting any of that. But then Peter vindicates them for not saying anything by putting his foot in his mouth. Let's read on. Verse 21. From the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So, so he's explaining all this to them. He's explaining what must be done to build this church. What must be done for salvation. And then verse 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) I don't know about you. But that's where you just want to go like this and walk away. It's like, oh, I can't believe he's doing that. Oh, man, I just need to leave. This is so awkward right now. He just said he's the Messiah. He just said he is the Son of God. And he's going to go teach him something? He's going to go rebuke him? You know, but yet I, I, I got to tell you, I understand Peter's heart in this. Peter's heart is thinking in the physical realm. Am I ringing here a little bit? Peter's mind is thinking in the in the physical realm. You know, and he's saying he's saying I am going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to face all this. I'm going to die on the third day. Arise, and what what does Peter say as he rebukes him? He said, verse 22, halfway through, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. I I could just picture him grabbing his sword at this time and saying, No, this will not happen. You know, and and thinking that that was the great thing to say. No, Lord. I will do my best to keep this from happening. (laughs) What's God's response? Satan, get behind me. See, what he saw, Jesus said, he said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. See, what Peter was looking at and Satan was drawing him in to look at were the temporal things in life. Peter is so enjoying this relationship, this this physical next to Jesus Christ, there's no way he wants to let that go. There's no way he's going to let anybody harm his Savior. And and to us, we would think, if if we didn't know the end of the story, if we didn't know everything that was going to happen, we would think, man, that's awesome. Standing up for the one you love. Standing up for your Savior. You you, you go, Peter. Right? We'd be cheering him on. You're awesome. Problem is, Peter was looking through the wrong lens. See, he was actually speaking against the very thing that would cause intimacy to be able to happen. Peter didn't see what God was really saying. And, and I don't believe it's because he didn't tell him. It says Jesus was telling things that were going to happen. You know, if you read earlier in Matthew, he's telling them who he is. You know, he is the light. No no one comes unto the Father but by him. 
And, and you can imagine that Peter still had this thought in his mind of this physical kingdom that was going to be set up. But remember, long before this, in Matthew 6, Jesus told him, don't look at the physical. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all the rest of this gets added. But seek first his kingdom. His kingdom is not in the physical. His kingdom is in the spiritual, which is the real reality. It's so much bigger, so much more going on there than in our limited reality. But Peter didn't see that. How many times do we do that? In our own life, we like to see things how they're supposed to go. Well, see, Lord, I know you called me to do this, and here's the end game, and and I kind of see the path between here and there. Because we've got this obstacle, that obstacle. Well, over here, this one can help us, and, and this one can do something for us. So we begin plotting this plan of how we're going to achieve success. And see, the problem with that is Jesus is looking at at that through a spiritual lens and saying, yeah, you have no idea that 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 block right there, that, that block that you think is a block is really not a block because that very thing is what's going to propel you to that success. So he teaches us, you've got to look at things through his perspective. So Peter was looking at things through a temporal lens, not spiritual. I want you to turn to John chapter 13. And this was another one. I, I, I love, man, I love Peter. I love him because he, he, he is just, he's, he's one of those guys that is all in, like, like his body's there before his brain is. And it doesn't matter because I'm there. Whatever you, what did you say? Yes. What do you? Yes. Before even the instructions given out. Yes. And and you know I, I associate with that because in many ways I'm I'm that way as well. But John chapter thirteen, we're going to read six through ten, and this this is where the Lord's Lord's up with the disciples, and. He begins to wash their feet. He came to Simon Peter. We'll start at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now, now first of all, he was, they knew what he was about to do, but Peter was the first. He was the first one that Jesus came to. And he said, Lord, do you wash my feet? In other words, you're, you're washing my feet? I'm sure in his mind he's thinking, I, I need to wash your feet. In his reaction, Jesus said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Peter just needs to be quiet. He needs to learn to let the Lord do something in his life. Okay, and then then the Lord said, Then Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. See, this is in relationship to Jesus Christ. It's almost like if, if you don't trust me and what I'm doing, what you can't see that I'm doing, if you don't trust me, you have no place with me. Did that mean he wouldn't be saved? No. 
He's talking about this intimacy. He's talking about this intimate place. He's talking about all the things that he said Peter was going to do with his life. If you don't trust me, Peter, then you have no place in that. I can't use you if you don't trust me. It may not make sense to you. That's okay. It may not make sense. It didn't make sense to Peter that his Messiah, the Son of God, was going to wash Peter's feet. That was something that a servant did for a master. Or that you did as a servant to those who were your guests. See, in Peter's mind, he's thinking, I'm supposed to do this to you, Lord. So, so do you understand how deceiving that is? Because it wasn't that what Peter was thinking was wrong. Thinking, Peter was thinking of the other person. He's thinking, no, Jesus, I, I, he's putting this placement of value in his mind. Thinking that, no, Lord, you're so much more valuable than me. I am the servant. You are the master. I'm supposed to be doing this for you. While the whole time, he's not listening to the command of the Lord. He's using what society tells him is supposed to be. And he's not listening to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord said, I need to wash your feet. And he said, no, Lord. Society tells me I'm supposed to wash yours. Jesus said, look, if you don't listen to me in this, you're going to have no place in me. I can't use you. How often do we do that? Lord, this isn't how church is supposed to be. This isn't how I'm supposed to be around people. You know, I've got to have this decorum that I've been raised with, or what I think it's supposed to be. So, so unless what you're telling me fits into that paradigm, then, then I'm just going to assume it's not you. And all the while, the Lord's saying, you need to trust me. What I'm saying to you is for your benefit. What I'm telling you that I want to do in your life is for your benefit. It may not make sense. And by the way, it won't. It can't make sense. Because he wants faith from you. He wants you to, to react in faith. If it is something you can put together in your mind, I guarantee you that there are elements of it that are not of him. Guarantee. If you can look at the beginning to end and have this plan on how to get there, and it all lays out perfectly, and that's how you're going to do it, you don't submit to what he's telling you, I guarantee you it's not his will. Why? Because there's no faith in that. There was no faith in Peter's mind dealing with it, how their society dealt with it. So then Jesus says, look, if, if you don't let me do this, then you have no place with me. And here goes Peter again. I love him. He, he, he is like a ping pong ball. Okay, Lord, well then wash all of me. Let's read on. Uh, let's see. Where are we? Yes, okay. Hey, yeah, let me finish up at the end of eight. If, if, you don't, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Then Peter says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. 
He's, he, he's just wants all of him. He says, Lord, I just want all of you. If, if you're going to wash, wash my feet, then wash my hands, wash my head, wash everything. Lord, I just want to be immersed in you. And how often do we do that? i got to tell you, this is a picture. And this just came to my mind. This is a picture of the church. This is a picture of what I grew up with in seeing two different sides. This is, this is you know, conservatism, if you want to call it that, versus charismaticism. Is that a word? I don't know if that's a word, but, but you know what I'm talking about. Okay? It, it's, like, it's like, here, Lord, no, don't do that for me. Don't do that for me because I'm supposed to do that for you. And Jesus says, look, if you don't let me do it, you have no part. But then there's the other side. Oh, just do it all. Just bathe me in it. Just, man, just pour it on me. Wash every part. Just, just bathe me. I want to be so in you. I want to, my mind just be so in you. And, and the Lord say, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. You just need to do what I need you to do so I can use you. Don't get all caught in something that takes your eyes off what I'm telling you to do. Because, see, he has something specific for us. What does the Lord say here then? Jesus said, and I love this, the one who is bathed does not need to wash. I'm assuming Peter must have taken a shower. Except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but then he gets, says, not every one of you, because he knew what Judas was going to do. By the way, why is it the feet? Do you know the feet are what take us into the realm of the enemy? The feet, which is our, in Ephesians 6, our piece of armor that goes over our feet is peace. See, there's a reason for that, because the feet are what take us into harm's way. The feet are also what take us away from the will of God. So he said, your feet have to be a part of me. Your feet have to be what you give me, because that's where you go. That is what drives you, that's what takes you there. You've got to give that to me. So these are all lessons. See, you look at this and you say, man, Peter, dude, you've got to learn to keep your mouth shut. How many of you, you've, you've heard the verse where it says that, that if you're quiet, you come across as wise, right, out of Proverbs. If, if you just, the quiet people, and I, I'm, not, I'm obviously paraphrasing, but the quiet people seem more wise. You know, Peter should have read that verse. It would have helped him along. But I love that he didn't. Because as you look into what Peter is used later on in life, he is used, I, I would say maybe possibly equal to one of the other disciples, but in reality more. There's more written about him in the New Testament and what he did than all the other disciples. So there was a cost that he paid in being really an idiot and stepping forward and, you know, putting his foot in his mouth. 
But these weren't failures. These were learning times. In your life, when you've either not stepped where you're supposed to step, or you stepped too soon, or you reacted because you're looking at things temporally instead of spiritually, don't look at that as a failure. Don't. Because God uses that to teach us. Let's look at, look at another one. Matthew 17. And I know I need to wrap this up here pretty quick. Um, Matthew 17, verses 1. We'll start at 1. This is a transfiguration when Christ went to uh, the garden and... and um, Oh, I turned to the wrong thing. You know what? I, I, I'm just going to... No, we'll, we'll read it. This will be the last one where I'll explain the rest of them. So, Matthew 17 and uh, verse 1. We'll start at 1 and go through 8. After six days, Jesus took him, Peter and James, and John his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. This is the inner circle that I was talking about, Peter, James, and John. And he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, here goes Peter again, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now at this point, I'll stop reading there, but at this point, the disciples get really scared because now they're hearing the Father. Okay, they get really scared. And, and I love Jesus throughout this whole thing. He really kind of ignores Peter. He just lets him learn a lesson. You know, Peter said, oh, it's good that we're here. And then nobody talks to him. Nobody responds to him. And then this voice comes. And then he gets scared. But then through the whole thing, he begins to see what just happened. This transfiguration was where the father was declaring his son had nothing to do with Peter. Peter didn't need to inject himself into that. He just needed to absorb what God wanted to show him. How many times do we do that where we something we see something going on and we just we just immediately inject ourselves into it when maybe we we miss the lesson if we don't sit back and look and watch. But look through eyes that are not temporal. Look through eyes that are spiritual. There are several others. And, and the next one, we won't look it up, but you can look it up later if you want. Uh, Matthew 14, uh, verses 28, 33, you know where Peter walks on water. I love it. You know, he's the only one that is willing to get out of the boat. He, he, as a matter of fact, twice he did it. He, he said, Lord, he said, he said, if that's you, let me walk to you. Jesus is walking toward him, and there's a tempest. You know, there's a storm brewing. And, and, and Jesus says, yes, come on. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and he's starting to walk. And, ooh, what did I do? I am walking on water, and it doesn't feel real firm under me, and these waves are above me. 
You know, so, so many people look at that as failure. I think Jesus loved it. I think he loved it. Because Peter was willing to jump. Now, yeah, he probably didn't think about it a whole lot. But there's a lesson there for that. If he would have thought it through, he may never have jumped. He may never have exercised the faith God wanted him to exercise to get out of the boat and trust him. And so I think that was one of the greatest lessons that Jesus ever taught him. And part of it was, thank you for jumping out of the boat. I think that's why Jesus used him so greatly in starting the church. Because he did jump out of the boat. And then Jesus, of course, was there to help him. And then we know when Jesus was taken, he cuts, you know, Peter cuts the ear off the soldier. And, you know, he still doesn't get the fact that Jesus needs to die. <laughs> All right. But that, that was another what we would think of as failure. And then the ultimate failure was when Peter said, I don't know him. See, that was a huge test. But what Satan intended for evil, God used for good. Because see, when when Jesus appeared after the resurrection, there was nobody more excited than Peter. First of all, Peter and John ran to the tomb that they heard was empty. John apparently was a little faster than Peter. But the first time he saw him, they were in a boat 100 yards off. And when he realized that was Jesus, he thought, this boat's going to get there way too slow, and he just jumped in. He jumped in to be with his Savior. See, he had learned the passion that he had for his Savior. And he learned that through the hardest lesson of all, the lesson where he rejected him, where Peter thought the cost was too high to say yes. See, if I were to say yes, that I do know Jesus Christ or believe, I might end up on that cross with him. That cost was a high cost, and Peter fell under that. Because he denied him. Where have we denied Jesus? In our lives. When have we been placed with an option that was going to be great cost to us? And perhaps that cost was too great. So he said no. See, Jesus can take that failure and he could turn it into success. And I know, I know I'm over time here, but I want you to read this. Because through this whole thing, Peter loved the Lord. Acts chapter 2. You know, I, I, I really I want to read it. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you need to leave, leave. Acts chapter 2, this is after Jesus already ascended to heaven. And this was at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell. Peter became a different person. You see that immediately in what he did. 
See, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, and all this was going on, and, and then a crowd gathered because of the wind, because of the fire, because of everything that they saw. A huge crowd gathered, and Peter began to preach. And I'm going to read this, starting at verse 14. I want you to notice as I read this, because I'm, I'm going to read his whole sermon. I, it'll, it won't take more than two, three hours, I promise. No, it's not, it won't take that long, but I want you to notice as I'm reading this. Think of the fumbling, aggressive person that we've known Peter to be. And then listen to the difference of who he, who he is becoming Christ. Starting in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through, Joel, through the prophet Joel. Verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great day, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of light. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. See, he, he's, he's reciting from David. Now verse 29. Brothers, he's speaking back to these people again. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, who God raised up, and of what we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this 
that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Listen to their reaction. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. See, that's not the bumbling fool that we came to know. That wasn't the impulsive Peter that stepped before he thought. Did his personality change? No. He was still the aggressive Peter that he was. He's standing before 3,000 people who just crucified his Savior. And he told them they're murderers. It wasn't fear. It was the Holy Spirit in him. He came to a point in his relationship where only God mattered. Only that relationship mattered. His schedule didn't matter. His fishing didn't matter. His relationships did not come before God. What he wanted to do with his life became what God wanted to do through his life. He became single-focused. And his focus was Jesus Christ. And look at what God did in his life. He built the church. He saw a thousand, just in the first time he preached, he saw 3,000 people saved. People that I'm sure he expected to grab him and throw him up on a cross himself. Because he called them murderers. He said, you've killed the very God you've been waiting for. But see, he was seeing in the spiritual. And what was the reaction? The reaction was they came to know the Lord. Because, see, the Holy Spirit was already working in that, in that place. He was already working in their hearts. So where is he working in your heart? Where are the places that you're saying no? Where are the places that, that 
you're not getting beyond. Don't look at them as failures. Do not let the enemy tell you that those are failures. Because each one, if we let God do it, each one becomes a stepping stone to him readying us for what he wants. And if you don't believe that one person can change the world, then you don't know the word of God. Because it is what God does through that one person. What he does through you. What he wants to do through you. Will you let him? That's what leads to success. That's real success. That final adoration of success is when we stand before the Lord and he says, well done. Well done. Well done. What I gave you to do, you did. You may not have done everything the way I would have wanted you to do it, but you did it. You trusted me. You stepped forward. You learned. Well done. Let's pray.